hard to believe, but it was a little over 10 years ago, July 1st, 2007, when Sarah and I and a not-quite-one-year-old Rachel moved to Portland to begin this journey that has led to what we now call Hope Gateway Community. We had been married just a couple of years when that happened. And we were moving from Hudson, Massachusetts, where I had been, where we had both been, where we'd been serving separate churches, myself in Hudson, and Sarah as the associate pastor in neighboring Sudbury. And guess who the senior pastor that she worked with during her first year in Sudbury was? None other than Don Rudolevich, who moved here to Portland a year before, and then we followed him, not, not intentionally, just that's how it happened. We came because our bishop, after much urging, finally consented to our crazy request to move to Portland and to try our hand at church planting and to do it as co-pastors. What we found when we arrived, kind of to our happy surprise, was the dozen or so folks who were left from the former Chestnut Street United Methodist Church, the remnant congregation they like to call themselves, following the sale of their historic church facility on Chestnut Street, which some of you know now as Grace Restaurant. How many of you have had the pleasure of eating there? Some of you have. So we were very small those in those days, 10 years ago. 14 people on a really good Sunday, gathering for worship in a borrowed room in Etzkayim Synagogue with recorded music that we played on CDs on a 1990s-style boombox for hymn-singing karaoke style. It was really quite special. It was not quite up to the Kelly standards. It wasn't even in the same hemisphere as the Kelly standards. And I got to tell you, worship was pretty mediocre. But God was there, and joy was there, and Shirley was there. (laughs) Excellent, right on point. And even though these folks had been through a pretty challenging time, now think about it, having made the grueling decision to sell their beautiful 1857 cathedral, and then disposing of its contents, 44 rooms worth of contents. If you've ever moved, think about how many rooms you have, and then multiply it, and think about what if you lived in that 44-room place since 1857, how much you might have accumulated. This is an overwhelming task. And then saying goodbye to that space which had held such sacred significance to them and generations before them. And moving on into an unknown future with no roadmap at all. And trusting that maybe God could make something out of that. And for all that they had been through, what Sarah and I found when we arrived 18 months after they had moved out was that they were irrepressible determined, faithful, filled with hope, and ready for whatever new adventures God might have in store for them. Now that motley crew included Don and Sue Rudolevich, who had retired to Portland, Shirley Martell, wave Shirley. She wasn't there since 1857. (laughs) But she was the longest standing, yeah. 
Fred and Irma, yes, Fred and Irma, that's probably true. Of the ones who attend regularly, so Don and Sue Shirley, Kathy Garza, Priscilla Draymond, Fred and Irma Baker, who aren't able to be here on Sunday mornings anymore, but certainly are part of our circle. And uh, after a few weeks of sort of sitting out and waiting to see what might happen, Geraldine Guitard. I think that was it. Is there anyone else that's... Well, there were others who aren't part of us anymore. Right. That was a whole different chapter. So the rest of the bunch have either moved on to other places or to other churches or have joined the church triumphant, if you know what I mean. Now these were exciting, sometimes uh, challenging, often challenging, always interesting days. The question that Sarah and I and this group of folks confronted every single day was, how do you create something out of nothing? Except it wasn't really nothing, it was something. How do you create something out of not very much? How do you create something out of the remnant? The thing was that not very much was pretty incredible because these folks believed the crazy, illogical, world-changing truth that for God all things are possible. possible. And they lived as if it was really true. That maybe God really could work a miracle with faith the size of a mustard seed. That maybe, just maybe, God wasn't finished with them yet, even though that, that building had outlasted its usefulness. That maybe they had been called out and sent forth for such a time as this. Now let me tell you, it is a long winding path from there to here. A long winding path with more than a few twists and turns, obstacles, roadblocks, failed experiments, near misses, gigantic unanswered questions, breakthroughs, and more surprises than I could even begin to count. Which is how you know that God is at work because where the Holy Spirit is present, there are always going to be surprises, right? Where the Holy Spirit is present, things rarely go according to your strategic plan. They just don't. More surprises than I could begin to count. Now, with the exception of those few people that I named a few minutes ago, Don, Sue, Shirley, Kathy, Priscilla, Geraldine, Fred, and Irma, the rest of you, and all the folks who were at the 9 o'clock worship gathering as well, came along somewhere along that 10-year span. Now, it would be fun to try to organize ourselves in a line from been here the longest (laughs) to arrived today on this end and everyone would fit somewhere along that line, right? We'll save that fun for another day. (laughs) Maybe you... Maybe somebody invited you to Hope Gateway and you came. Or maybe you stumbled on our website and it looked interesting. Or you were actively seeking out a church. Maybe you came for yoga or meditation or drumming or a 12-step meeting or an immigrant gathering or something else. Or maybe you came for community meals. But for some reason, once upon a time, 10 years ago or this morning, you walked through our doors. Maybe it wasn't even these doors. And something was compelling enough that you stayed and you're here today. What matters is that today, because you're sitting in a red chair in this room, you are part of the Hope Gateway community. 
You are Hope Gateway because you're sitting in this room in a red chair and no one belongs here more than you. It's true. So between uh, now and November 5th, we're going to be celebrating the things that make Hope Gateway a pretty special community. The connections and commitments that are essential to our identity, the values that undergird our ministry and mission, the overflowing blessings that are part of our life together, and even the troublesome challenges that come along when you try to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God in a broken and hurting and unjust world. Now, full disclosure, this is our stewardship series for the year. So November 5th is going to be our stewardship uh, commitment celebration. A day when we invite each of you, each of us, to make commitments of our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. Those are our community practices. Prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. And full disclosure, we're going to be asking you to make a commitment, a financial commitment, to the ministry and mission of this church in the year 2018, a ministry that is making a profound difference in the world. So a little, a little fun as we kick off this worship series. I want to see if we can come up with some different HGW acrostics. You know what an acrostic is? You know where you get a word that starts with each of those letters? Okay, I came up with a few to kind of prime the pump, and I'm going to share them with you, and then I want you to start thinking. You have four weeks to see how many of these we can come up with. So here's one. Hope grows within. Not bad, right? HGW, hope grows within. That's an acrostic. Okay, here's another one that's similar. Hope grows wild. Now i got to tell you, H, G, and W are very weird letters to put together. So this wasn't super easy. And by the way, hope gateway doesn't count. We already got that one. <laughs> Hearts growing wider. Ooh, not bad, right? You can tell my, my brain was working overtime. <laughs> Here grace welcomes. You like that one? Here grace welcomes. Now this is the one that I briefly considered. Here gather weirdos. <laughs> Which is actually not that untrue. <laughs> but I decided it probably didn't fit the... It wasn't what we were going for this time. So can anybody think of one off the top of your head? How God works. How God works. Oh, that is good. That is good. How God works. What else you got? How God wants. How God wants. I like it. Hope given within. Hope given within. I knew you were up for this challenge. Now at 9 o'clock, Haley was sitting right there, and she came up with... Haley goes wild. <laughs> if it has your name in it, nah, no, that's not what we're looking for. Okay, so come up with some, post them on social media with the hashtag WeAreHDW. Email it to me, text them to me, bring them next Sunday, we'll see what we can come up with. Our scripture reading for today may seem like an unlikely choice, so you're going to have to bear with me. I'll give you a one-word synopsis before I read it. Here's the one-word synopsis. Idols. Idols. Now the background is this. Moses has led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt from, where, from there to where? Right straight to the promised land, right? No. The wilderness. For a rather long period of time, right? 
a rather long 40 years of wilderness, but they're just, they're just beginning this journey. Now, after just a few months together, Moses has gone up Mount Sinai to communicate with God. He receives messages from God. Now, among other things, he has received the Ten Commandments. Now, this time he's gone back up the mountain, and he's been gone a long time, like 40 days, which in biblical terms means a wicked long time. (laughs) And people are wondering, like, where did Moses go? They're feeling abandoned. They're feeling anxious. They're wondering if he's dead because he hasn't returned. They're full of anxiety, and they want a quick fix. And this is what happens. Uh, Exodus 32. The people saw that Moses was taking a long time. Now, if if the author of Exodus was a mainer, he would say a wicked long time, to come down from the mountain. They gathered around Aaron. And now who's Aaron? Moses' brother brother and a priest, right? They gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come on, make us gods who can lead us. As for this man Moses who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't have a clue what has happened to him. Aaron said to them, now what do you, you would think that Aaron would say, no, I'm not making you a god. You have a god, right? But no. Aaron said to them, all right, take out the gold rings from the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took out the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He collected them and tied them up in a cloth. Then he made a metal image of a bull calf. And the people declared, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf. Then Aaron announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. They got up early the next day and offered up entirely burned offerings and brought well-being sacrifices. The people sat down to eat and drink and then got up to celebrate. Nothing like uh, brotherly loyalty, right? Right? Now the Lord said to Moses, Hurry up and go down. Your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, are ruining everything. They've already abandoned the path that I commanded. They have made a metal bull calf for themselves. They've bowed down to it and offered sacrifices to it and declared, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I've been watching these people, and I've seen how stubborn they are. Now leave me alone, let my fury burn and devour them, and then I'll make a great nation out of you. God's angry, right? But Moses pleaded with the Lord, his God, Lord, why does your fury burn against your own people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and amazing force? Why should the Egyptians say... He had an evil plan to take the people out and kill them in the mountains and so wipe them off the earth, right? The Egyptians would be like, told you so. You thought, you're, you thought slavery was bad? Now you're just going to get devoured by God for your errant ways. Calm down your fierce anger, Moses said. Change your mind about doing terrible things to your own people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, whom you you yourself promised? I'll make your descendants as many as the stars in the sky. And I've promised to give your descendants this whole land to possess for all time. And then, now get this, the Lord God changed God's mind about the terrible things God said God would do 
to God's people. If you've ever wondered if God can change God's mind, there it is, right there, in Exodus. Idols. So what's going on here? A golden calf, really? Really? Just a few months after leaving slavery in Egypt? Remember God parted the Red Sea so they could cross over dry land? And now they're making golden calves and worshiping it? God has guided their steps through pain and suffering. The future is bright. And what do they do? Their anxiety is so great. And they want a quick fix. So immediately they break the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And Aaron, Moses' brother, obliges. He gets so swept up in the anxiety of this community that he wants to fix it. Even if it's a quick fix, even if it doesn't work, he wants to fix it. And so they bring their wives' gold earrings, and he melts them down, and he forms an idol in the shape of a baby cow. And they worship it, and they bring sacrifices, and they have a big old party. What in the world is going on here? And why in the world am I reading this on the first day of the hashtag We Are Hope Gateway Worship series? I mean, shouldn't I be reading something hopeful, something inspiring, something encouraging? Why am I reading this? Because it is so easy still today to find ourselves worshiping idols of our own making. And if we are not careful, we can be sure that is exactly what we will do because we're human beings and it's human nature. So here's what Anathea Portier-Young, a Hebrew Bible professor at Duke Divinity School, says about this story. She says, It is easy to mistake our own creations for God. Just stop and think about that minute for a minute. It's easy to mistake our own creations for God. It is tempting to shape our plundered riches, our wages, and even the reparations for our losses into an image that pleases our senses, mollifies our anxiety, and invites admiration from our neighbors. But that thing we have made from Egypt's gold is not our God. That thing may symbolize strength and power, that it may embody rebellion or conformity, generosity or greed, but as close as we draw to it, as much as we celebrate it and place it at the center of our lives, it did not lead us to freedom, and it will not lead us to our promised inheritance. It will tether us to slavery, to a worldview in which people are expendable, interchangeable commodities. It will moor us to the impatience of our ignorance and fear. We may dance with it for a day, but soon find that it has led us to our death. Read that last sentence with me. We may dance with it for a day, but soon find that it has led us to our death. Why are idols so appealing? Well, if it's an idol... You can put it in a box. You can wrap it up with a bow. You can say God is here and not there. You can contain God. 
You can define God. You can even confine God. Or so you may think. Except that is not how God works, is it? That is not how God works. So what are some things that if we're not careful could easily become idols? Idols. Idols. What are some things? Success. Success can become our idol, right? Okay. I had never thought of this until you were talking about this, but the Israelites went to Egypt with all their flocks and herds, and they were known as like the shepherd and right. people. And what did they choose as their golden symbol? Right. Something that was their own national identity right. became their idol. Made of gold, of course. Gold. Right. I heard someone say money. Definitely an idol, right? Wealth. What else? The flag. National loyalty above all else can become an idol. What else? Material things. Whatever it is. The new whatever. The new fancy blah, 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 right? Video game, computer, blah, blah, whatever it is. Fancy car. Okay, what else? Work. Work. Your work when your career and your goals and your aspirations become your idol. Say it again. Power. Fame. What's that? Rich. Our wealth. Yeah. How about a political party? How about a certainty? You ever think of certainty as being an idol when you have to know the right thing and be so sure about it, right? That can be kind of, yeah, someone's resonating with that. Certainty. How about the familiar the comfortable, the way we've always done things, right? Which usually when we say the way we've always done things, we mean like since 1970 or 1992, right? It doesn't usually mean that long. Um, Anything that we become so comfortable with, so attached to, that it takes the place of God. And where does God belong? In the center. So anything that becomes central displaces God from God's rightful place, becomes an idol. It happens. No one is immune. Got it? You with me? It's part of being human. So as we begin this series, We Are Hope Gateway, and as we reflect on the connections and commitments that are central to our life together, I want to suggest that we think of Hope Gateway not as an organization, but as a movement. And I'll make the connection to idolatry here in a minute. But first I want to distinguish between organization and movement. Now I'm, I'm getting these ideas from Hilde Gottlieb, who published this article, Building Movements, Not Organizations, in the Stanford Social Innovation Review. But here's a few, uh, just to kind of illustrate what I mean. I want you to invite, invite you to think about those two words, organization, movement. So organizations often define success internally by what the organization accomplishes for itself. Look at this great thing that we did. It's all about us. It's all about us. Right? That's an organization. So what does the movement do then? For others, right? Movements define success globally. If a movement is successful, things change for everyone. You know, it's like that saying, the church should be the only organization, there's that word again, the only movement that exists for the people who are not part of it, or not yet part of it. Okay? You see the difference? Organization, movement? 
Okay, here's a couple more. Sustaining an organization is about sustaining order. We like things to be a certain way. Because order feels good, doesn't it? Movements are often messy. Sustaining a movement is about sustaining action. Now, why is action so challenging? Because we can't contain it in a box. Right? It's messy. And that sometimes makes us feel anxious. Another one. Leadership in an organization places a big emphasis on titles. Chief Executive Officer, Vice President of yada yada, whatever, right? Uh, Senior Pastor, titles. And unless the organization is very small, the leaders with those big titles are not usually the ones actually leading the most significant activities of the organization. They're very much behind the scenes, right? It's other people lower down the organization chart who are actually doing the activities of the organization. By contrast, leadership in a movement is an active roll up your sleeves, get your feet wet, and your hands dirty roll. It involves leading those significant activities that fulfill the mission, and often with no official title. Do you see where I'm going with this? Organization versus movement. Leadership in an organization is structured and most often hierarchical, like with a fixed organization chart and formalized roles. That's similar to the last, the last point. Whereas leadership of a movement is distributed and agile. What does agile mean? Flexible. As individuals become more deeply engaged and bring others into the fold. Leadership emerges in a movement. Anyone can join by simply seeing a need or an opportunity, whether you have a title or not, and jumping in and take, rolling up your sleeves and taking action. You see the difference? Now I'm just going to, I have a couple more, but I want to stop here and ask you, which do you think churches most often gravitate to? Organization or movement? Organization. It's what we know how to do. We like to bring order and structure to the messiness and chaos of a movement. Okay? Now, the problem with that is that often in an organization, so much time and energy goes into organizing and having all the right committees and a name on every slot and everybody with a title and some people with seven titles that guess what happens? Not much else. Because it takes a lot of energy just to do that. And so, so many churches are stuck in having great committees and zero impactful ministry beyond the walls of their own building. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you get it? Okay. A couple more. In organization, function follows form. This is how we do things. Now, maybe that's a a set of bylaws or a series of committees or a list about who gets a key and how to use the kitchen and the rigid agendas, all that stuff. You familiar with that? Book of Discipline. Did I say that out loud? (laughs) Organizations value stability and efficiency. But in a movement, it's flipped around. Form follows function. So as the functional needs change, the movements value forms that fulfill that mission, that are agile, flexible, and effective. In a movement, we might say, so what is the need that we need to accomplish right now? 
And what form is going to allow us to do that most effectively? As the functional needs change, the movements will adjust their forms. There's a few thoughts. Can you think of other things when you think about organization versus movement? Anything else come to mind? Movements need organization. Movements do need organization. That's a really important point. Especially as movements grow, they need organization. Because you have to have some order. You can't have complete disorder. But what naturally happens to a movement is that they become overly organized so that the organization takes over the actual movement. That happens. It's a natural sort of progression of any movement is that it becomes hyper-organized in a way that's actually paralyzing or calcifying. So it's always about finding the right balance. The function, the form follows the function, not the other way around. What else? I saw a hand over here, I thought. Is someone, someone else thinking? Oh, Charlotte, it was you. Especially if you're not careful. And the reason why I'm saying this today is because I'm reflecting on where we've come over 10 years. What started as a movement, really a movement, we didn't settle, we never let the grass grow under our feet for a minute. As we get bigger, it requires more organizing. And the danger is that we could become calcified as an organization. This is the way we've always done things. Well, listen, friends, there's no always here. Right? It's, it, it, can ha- it, would ha- it will happen if we are not guarding it. And I'm not just talking about the 12 or so on our leadership team. I mean, all of us have to be on board and, make sh- and, and committed to sustaining a movement that is on the move. Now, here's the other thing I want to say. Organizations will always put their hope and trust in idols. The gods of their own making that are reliable, predictable, gods you can put in a box and tie up with a bow, gods you can contain, define, and even confine. Movements put their hope and trust in the God of Jesus who always calls us out of our comfort zone. Jesus didn't even have a home, friends. Following Jesus was a movement, 100%. There was no organization around Jesus in his day. Movements will always follow the God of the prophets who call us again and again to stand up and be counted, to speak truth to power even if your knees shake. Movements will always call us to follow the God of the Holy Spirit, which is the wind that blows wherever the heck it wants to. It can't be contained. It can't be put in a box. The the still small voice whispering truth to us and challenging us and filling us with surprises, unpredictable, uncontainable, irrepressible, as close as the air we breathe and always just beyond our grasp. Nothing organization in that. It's all movement. Do you understand why this is so important to me? Even if you're like, why is he going on and on and on about this? Because we're at a pivotal moment, friends, as a community. We're at a pivotal moment. 
the dangers of being too settled, too attached, too calcified, too set in our ways, no longer open to the leading of the Spirit, listening for God's voice, ready to do the bold new thing that God wants to do in our midst. Now I'm going to shift gears here and end with this. I want to... uh, So this is our Hope Gateway logo. You've seen this a hundred times, right? But we never talk about it. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about the symbolism of this logo and why I love it and think that it reflects so well who we are. So what do you see when you look at that part of our logo? A pinwheel. And what does a pinwheel make you think about? Movement. So there's that. What else? What's that? Wind. Yes. And? Color. And? Yes, that was the word I was looking for. All of those words. So when we worked with a graphic artist about this, we said, we take our mission very seriously. But we don't want to take ourselves too seriously. So it needs to be a little bit playful. What I love about the pinwheel image is that a pinwheel is all about movement and wind. Is a pinwheel self-propelled? No. What does it require? Wind, the outside force. And do you know what another word for spirit is? Ruach, wind. The wind, the breath of God. So the, the, the pinwheel implies movement, but not movement by itself. Movement that relies on the Holy Spirit to keep it moving. Okay, so I love that. Now also, the shape. The shape was meant to hint at our United Methodist cross and flame. Just hint at it. Sorry if I just ruined it for you. Just hint at it. But also the Reconciling Ministries Network logo, which is also meant to hint at the cross and flame. Reconciling Ministries Network is the United Methodist um, movement that is pushing for a more inclusive church, in particular advocating for the LGBTQ community. And we're members of the Reconciling Ministries Network and have been almost since the very beginning. So do you see the parallels? The, and then, of course, the colors, the rainbow, which represents diversity and God's promise in the flood, and also the LGBT community, for whom rainbow is an important symbol. And a couple things that I hadn't even thought of that people after the 9 o'clock uh, gathering mentioned to me. Each of those little sections of the pinwheel is actually a, a pedal, And I know that because our Growing With Hope logo, the same designer took the petals and broke them apart and created something different with the same shapes. Each one is like a petal of a leaf. As Laura Hamilton reminded me between worship, the job of a petal on a flower is... Does anybody know? To attract the pollinator. To then send that out to bring fertility, nourishment. So that's another little... There are five of those petals in the um, pinwheel to represent our five core values, which are on the wall over here, community, inclusivity, creativity, simplicity, and transformation. They could also represent our five community practices, prayers, presence, gifts, service, witness. So hopefully that just unpacks it a little bit for you so that when you see our logo, it means something more than it did before. And I think this is really about the idea of movement as well. Okay, two things. I want to invite you, challenge you, 
to pray every day for the next four weeks for the Hope Gateway community. Pray for our ministry and mission. Pray for our leaders. Pray for the hundreds of people who walk through our doors every week to find hope and strength for their journey from addiction to recovery. Pray for the for the people who have come and been part of community meals, 50,000 plus meals that we've served over the last seven or eight years. Pray for those who, who, who pray for our kids, pray for our youth. Uh, pray for those who are searching for hope, searching for community, searching for love, and maybe haven't found it yet and haven't yet walked through these doors. I want to invite you every day for the next four weeks to be praying for the Hope Gateway community. You don't have to stop after four weeks. You can keep going. Now, in your chair when you got here today, maybe on the floor, maybe you stepped on it, maybe you're sitting on it, there's a little slip of paper like this. I'm going to invite you right now, and there are pens at the end of each row, to write a very short prayer. It might be just a few words or a phrase for the Hope Gateway community. Whether this is your first time here or you're here all the time, a short prayer. What is your prayer for our community? And then as you come forward to receive communion or before you go, to add it to our prayer station over here. Uh, clip it up on, on, on the, the mirrors over here. So we're going to collect our prayers. Secondly, before you go or anytime, starting right now if you want, you're invited to make a prayer flag. Because even though these are beautiful, there's not enough. See, there's a whole strip there with none. And we want to go this way too. So make a prayer flag, and Laura's there to kind of help you, encourage you, and give you some guidance. All the supplies there. Make a prayer flag before you go. Friends, may we continue to dream new dreams. May we stay open and responsive to the Holy Spirit. May we be ready to try new things, to take risks, even to risk failure for the sake of the gospel. May we resist the temptation to make idols of anything, ever. May we claim every ounce of faith that we have and let it propel us forward in an ever-expanding movement. May we never get stuck in the self-defeating dynamics of a calcified organization. Or if we do, only for a short time and then quickly get unstuck and on our way as a movement. And may we commit ourselves fully to the ministries of the Hope Gateway community, to the mission of Hope Gateway, to the movement of Hope Gateway, through our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. I am Hope Gateway. Say this with me. I am Hope Gateway. You are Hope Gateway. You are Hope Gateway. We are Hope Gateway together. We are Hope Gateway together. And God is with us on the journey. God is with us on the journey. Amen.